0: Welcome to The Seven Deadly Sins of B2B Marketing, the Bono podcast that preaches the tips and tricks of B2B marketing. In each episode,
1: we sit down with B2B marketers and talk about what makes them proud, envious, and
0: angry in the world of B2B. Their revelations will uncover new insights that'll set you on the path to better ways of working. Let us be your guide for the next 25 minutes. To help your team avoid temptation and become unstoppable together. Hello and welcome to Armabono's podcast, The Seven Deadly Sins of B2B Marketing. My name is Simon McAvoy. I am the UK Head of Strategy at Armabono, and I'm delighted to be joined here today with Ruth Rowan, the global CMO and Group Exec of Dimension Data. Hello, Ruth. Welcome Hello, to the, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, look, to start with, Ruth, it, we're going to jump into the Seven Deadly Sins shortly. But can you give us a little bit of an overview of your career path so far?
1: I fell into marketing, I guess, is probably the right way of, of describing it. I'm very much an opportunist in, in my career. i very much one of those people that have never really had a plan. Um, for my life. Uh, So I'm a biologist by training and and academic kind of background. Um, Started off in banking and very quickly realised that the banking industry was not going to be where I would personally find fulfilment. And then through a series of um, lucky coincidences, I guess, ended up in marketing, um, kind of mid-20s. And that first role actually was in the technology sector. And for the last 20 years, I've been um, working in different parts of the, the, the technology sector. Tech twenty years ago very much wasn't the sexy part mm. of 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 the world. Um, very few interesting companies, or from the outside, seemed interesting companies. Mm. And certainly now, when you look at the world's top five brands or, or largest companies, it's now in, all in the tech sector. So, so technology is now the place to be. And I think the reason I I I've loved it and I've stayed in tech is it's just constantly changing. And for someone that still doesn't really have a plan for my career, um, to be in a in a sector that's constantly evolving constantly innovating um, and in a discipline of marketing, which is driving a lot of that future work. It's just, you know, I, I love it.
0: And you've had quite a remarkable career in terms of the companies you've worked for, BT, and now Dimension Data. What What is it about the Dimension Data job that really appealed to you?
1: Um, so you're right. Pri- prior to joining DD, I was with BT for, for, for many years and i had a, a, a very fond of my, my my time at BT. They gave me an opportunity to work all over the world and many different disciplines doing different things. I think really that the, the reason I joined Dimension Data was twofold. One, there was a job um, <laughs> um, that, that needed to be done. Uh, they were looking for a new global CMO to to, to really take the company, the brand, the, the marketing discipline to, to to a different level, to a different place, to meet a changing company's requirements. Um, and secondly, there was an opportunity to make a difference. Um, and hence, I just felt it again came along at a very opportune time when I was probably ready for a move. Um, and was very lucky to have the opportunity to go and, and, and work with the Dimension Data team.
0: Brilliant. And, and give us the, the kind of elevator pitch for Dimension Data then for people that maybe aren't familiar with the company.
1: We're a technology services company. We're a systems integrator, managed services provider. We work with all of the world's biggest technology companies, Cisco, Microsoft, Google, Apple, etc. and actually help other companies um, use that technology to achieve whatever they're trying to do with yeah. technology in their business. So whether it's to be a more efficient bank, Um, a more effective distribution company, um, transform the way consumer goods companies are run. And we work with pretty much all the world's largest companies, governments, et cetera.
0: Let's jump into the seven deadly sins. And many of these sins, we see them as things that we've observed as part of the work we've done, the research we've done over the last kind of eight years, talking to, to thousands of B2B marketers across the world. These are some of the stories that come up time and time again. So the first one we're going to start with is greed. And greed is, uh, where, where our sin is, thou shalt not indulge in short-term results at the expense of long-term growth. And so something we've seen over and over again is sometimes a real preoccupation with that kind of bottom-of-the-funnel lead gen at the expense of thinking about how to build brands for the long term. So to talk to us a little bit about, first of all, how you see the tension, if there is a tension, between those two things and how you've started to address both uh, at Dimension Data.
1: I think that's a nice way of focusing on greed, isn't it? Because quite often we've, we, we, we like to measure the things that we can measure or that are easy to measure or that we can see immediate results, which I guess is driving that sense yeah. of, of greed. You know, stuff like the bottom of the funnel, net new pipeline, number of leads, pipeline converting into um, into revenue is the stuff that's easy to measure and easy to measure on a weekly or monthly ba- basis. Whereas brand, particularly in the B2B space where we, we don't tend to invest in the kind of consumer perception surveys as much as our B2C colleagues do. It is is harder to measure or takes longer to measure or maybe we're only measuring once a year. But I actually think um, that the B2B space has become a lot more sophisticated and actually there doesn't need to be an either or. Mm. You know, quite often we'll say, is this a revenue generating campaign or a brand campaign? And I think there's an and. It it can be about building brand, building reputation and generating um generating new pipeline and new revenue. So I think there's a very strong and today rather yeah. than an or and hence I think greed is something that we can embrace. And I think now particularly since we're all so getting much more um fluent with digital channels as we nurture Um, People through the journeys, you know, across our digital channels, we've got a much more sophisticated way of linking a brand building or reputation building programme or campaign that we do into ultimately net new business. Um, So I think this kind of either or has gone away.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I suppose as well the, the idea of what a brand is for B2B brands is quite flexible as well because unlike maybe BC brands you've got a sales team for example who are all human beings in contact with customers every day that are also building the brand and also need to be on message so do, do you find that as well that actually what you see as brand has to be quite flexible
1: oh totally yeah I mean the brand is everything we yeah. everything we do every touch point you know one of the things I'm I think most excited about at the moment in in, in marketing and particularly in B two B marketing is the ownership increasingly by the, by by marketers of the end to end client experience. Mm-hmm. So we might not own every touch point. You know, we don't. Most companies were, were were not running the sales teams. Or in many companies, we're not running sales teams. Certainly in DD, but actually understanding. You know the, the touch points for a client, and that client could be you know a, a, a customer, but it could also be somebody who's applying for a job, or who's trying to get some information for an investor presentation, whatever that would be. Yeah. And actually, understanding how consistent we are across different channels. Once people pick up the phone, or somebody's going to see them, you know what the quality is of the presentation, what that person's wearing, how knowledgeable they are about. their their area um, or indeed you know the quality of the bid that goes in or the proposal Mm. etc etc you know how aggressive our lawyers are all of those things ultimately affect the experience anybody has with with your brand yeah and it's great to see I think now increasingly we're being asked to understand that we're being asked to understand which of those areas has the most impact and and relevance and which um, you know which is inconsistent um, at the moment and how we make how we make improvements you know our people are still very much the embodiment of our brand you know in, in B2B or certainly in certainly in my company and actually all of the positive feedback we get is about our people and so if you've got a workforce and in our instance it's it's about 30,000 people who are living and breathing the values mm-hmm. which ultimately underpin the kind of brand that you're trying to build it just helps yeah
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which it is a lovely way to lead into the next of our seven deadly sins, which is sloth... And absolutely would not be for me to say that B2B marketers are slothful, <laughs> but thou shalt not demotivate your employees is a a useful sort of way into this. I think that you know employee motivation, as you've touched on, is is hugely important, both for within a marketing team itself to keep marketers motivated, but also the role that marketing can play in, in motivating employees across the business. So tell me a bit about how you're doing that at Dimension Data.
1: Certainly in B2B, and I'm sure it's the same in other companies, the 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 total transparency now between the inside world and the outside world is i mean there's just no there's no barrier you yeah. know and we always talk about if we're communicating something internally we have to expect it will be external because there is no filter yeah. um and hence you know for all of us Um, we do embody the company that we work for and and certainly in the in the tech industry our ability to recruit and retain the best people in the industry is our differentiator Um, so we have to and we do really focus on our culture our people our working environment um, because we need to get that right to Mm -hmm. get it right for our clients we have to get it right for our for, for our people Um, So culture is really important. We spend a lot of time talking about it um, at Dimension Data. We talk a a lot about what is it that makes us different. Um, And and it comes down to our operating model. Uh, And I think operating model is one of those business phrases that I think is quite difficult to understand what what on earth people are talking about when they talk about what's the operating model of the company. Mm -hmm. Um, And I often say it's the kind of way we work together and the way stuff gets done and you know i've worked for american companies i've worked for british companies um you know i'm now working for a very kind of diverse global company um and i think there's very different ways of structuring empowering businesses and and you know sometimes you see what i what i call a very centralized company decisions get made in the headquarters location and then the role of the regions is just to execute and in when i first started out in my career i remember um being responsible for all the translations in Europe from a, an American software company and to the point where they wanted every single brochure to look exactly the same, even though you were translating into German, French, whatever. And and German words, I'm sure you know, are much, much longer than yeah, the yeah, English yeah. word. So you're <laughs> translating a word for, I don't know, um, system. And rather than being f- six letters, it would suddenly be 26. Yeah. <laughs> and 26 letters doesn't fit in the same space on a brochure cover that Anyway, so so you sometimes get that very centralised model and sometimes you get a very decentralised model. Actually, I think what what works for us well at at Dimension Data is we talk about an operating model that has an intelligence centre, so intelligence at the HQ location, but also an intelligent edge, so intelligence in the country. So we empower people, whatever part of the operating model they're in, to do the right thing. And Mm -hmm. there's a huge amount of respect for each other's roles Um, and that seems to work really well for us.
0: Do you have real clarity then over what kind of decisions can be made by your regional teams and what kind of decisions get made centrally? Or is it a bit more fluid or how does that work?
1: Um, we, we we generally have clarity on that. Um, you know, and there's some non-negotiables and some things that just get done in a certain way, either because, you know, legally or for compliance or governance reasons, they have yeah. to be done that way. <clears throat> and others that, you know, you absolutely want to make sure that the right person's making the decision you know we very clearly say our countries and our regions own our client relationship <laughs> yeah because that's ultimately where it gets managed but our kind of approach to segmentation sits centrally because what you don't want is 57 different segmentation models mm-hmm. different in every country which you'd never actually be able to drive a Deliver global strategy around yes, um, so the model is driven centrally but yeah. the application of the model into the country is driven by the country yes. which gives them the opportunity to say well this company client x doesn't quite meet that criteria but strategically they're more or less important so we'll move them into in, into the segment yeah,
0: yeah yeah
1: it also forces dialogue mm-hmm. and for, for many of the companies i've been in i think where i've seen things break down is often because people just stop talking to each other you know we've all seen it you know, you see an, an argument start to erupt on email with more and more people getting copied in, and you t- look at your email in the morning and suddenly there's 27 emails all with the same subject heading, each one sent three minutes after the other, and you think, goodness, if only that person had picked up the phone and called that other person, you know, it just would have, we just would have got it sorted out. So yeah. I'm a big believer in talking to people. Often <laughs> coming back to trying to bring it back to your 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 deadly sin around um, sloth. Often it's difficult because we're multitasking yeah. and actually it takes effort yeah. to address something isn't working, to, comf- to to confront the situation and to kind of say, let's, can we work this through together?
0: And what do you see there as your kind of role as, as global CMO? I mean, are you sort of forcing people together to have conversations or refereeing or what What are you doing there? Yeah,
1: I think it's, it's I mean, it's quite often it's those conversations, but at a more senior level. Yeah. Um, And I'll I'll give you a a great example of something we're talking about this week, actually, which is where should an intranet be owned? (laughs) (laughs) Very open to people's input on that. But, you know, between the marketing team, the HR team, the IT team, you know, they've got different uh, requirements, all the regional um, uh, operating companies. Different people have got different requirements for, for an intranet. And actually, you know, that's been kind of bouncing around different parts of the organisation um, for a while and not getting anywhere, which is actually just starting to frustrate people um, and actually not, is not an efficient use of anybody's time. So that's a great example of something that we've caught, you know, between two or three of us on the executive team, we're having the conversation and actually just agreeing, it doesn't need to be owned anywhere actually what it needs to be is shared ownership but governed properly with clear roles and responsibilities of who's doing what for that deliverable for the company yeah yeah.
0: Yeah. fantastic And and actually that leads very nicely into our next sin so our next sin is anger and uh, rather than getting sort of too bogged down in kind of what makes us angry every day, because that could be a long conversation, we I to talk about frustration. And I think you've just touched on it there, which is about uh, our, our sin is articulated as honour other teams and colleagues, don't just get frustrated. And I think th- what we're seeing a lot and what we see frequently from B2B marketers particularly is this need to work with other teams around the business, but also frustration that other teams don't often understand marketing or really understand what the marketing team is there to do. Uh, how do you work sort of building alliances at dimension data how do you get teams working together how do you break down silos
1: i I think that is probably one of the one of the biggest frustrations kind of rather than anger anger sounds (laughs) slightly (laughs) irrational doesn't it somehow Um, which is the need for us to to often work across teams and one of the things i think I, i see certainly in the marketing role at dimension data and i think i've seen it in other companies is is quite often marketers are the glue in a mm. in a company mm. quite often we're the place that brings things together um, and helps you know whether it's deeply technical teams translate what they're trying to say so that they can communicate more, more clearly or whether it's um, you know our colleagues in HR needing to think about a way of engaging um, our colleagues around the world in a in, in a different way or fundamentally bringing client insight together with the people developing propositions um so I do think we're often the glue um and we've often got stronger e q skills than many of many of our colleagues. I don't know if that's a controversial thing th- thing to say, <laughs> but I've rarely met an a marketer that doesn't have strong e q as well as yeah, i q yeah. that that that's doing well. I guess the thing that I wish I could click my fingers and solve immediately would be actually helping everybody in in my organization know where the little magical bits of content are Yeah. You know, and yeah, I think yeah. like many complex matrix companies there's great stuff happening everywhere mm. you know there's great deals being done in certain countries there's great thought leadership being created in certain divisions the, the, the trick is joining the dots yes. and actually making it easy for everybody to understand what's there what's being done how to learn from that how to also replicate that how to use that and I think so often we've got far too much content but people don't know what content's there
0: yeah, yeah, it's, it's so true, isn't it? I mean, I'd say all of our clients have these sometimes phenomenal stories that you only really find when you sort of scratch back layers and layers of stuff and you actually get into the way in which they really impact on people's lives. So the next sin is going to be lust. Where are we going to go with this one? <laughs> <laughs> so lust is about the lust of shiny new things. And this is do not worship new and shiny false gods like for example ai or blockchain at the expense of you know ideas and strategy so uh, t- talk about like how do you stay focused and not get distracted by the shiny stuff
1: there's so much new stuff around all the time and as i said at the beginning working in the tech sector it's like there's a new unicorn every month mm-hmm. at the moment in terms of some amazing new company that's developed that everybody's jumping on the bandwagon and and closer to home just looking at the marketing technology um, industry, you know. I think twenty years ago, when I was first working, be working in B two B marketing and bringing marketing tech into into my world, there was maybe a handful of vendors. Mm. Um, and at the time, I worked for Siebel, and we were providing marketing technologies. Um, now there's thousands, if not tens of thousands, of different marketing technologies that that we could use. And I get bombarded all the time by people suggesting that I couldn't possibly do my job or run my division with without their stuff. But you're right; it's very easy to get distracted. By that. Um, and I love that concept of, you know, it's magpie like, isn't it? Distracted yes. by the shiny thing, but you don't necessarily need it. Mm. And I think there's a real balance between staying connected to that cool new stuff and being curious about it, mm. because some of that stuff is going to be critical in our future, but keeping focus on what's needed today. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if I go back to that analogy of marketing technology, um, we have a fairly simple marketing technology approach in Dimension Data. And that's not because we're not ambitious about what we believe technology can enable us to do as a marketing community. We, we absolutely are. But I also have to make a decision about what what can the organisation actually absorb and consume? So it's all very well at being really cool. But actually, is it going to be used? And we all know as soon as you have something that you've paid for, but you don't use it, you get rid of it all the apps on our phone that we suddenly think we're going to download and then we never use so we delete them off um so this sense of staying connected and being curious to what's coming i think is really important taking the time and the energy to do that but also keeping focused on what does the organization
0: actually need do you have a criteria for sort of making those kind of decisions is there is there things that are in and things that are out or
1: um Kind of, I guess. I mean, it comes down to our plan. You know, what yeah, are we actually yeah. trying to do? Yeah. What's the business asking us to do? And do we need do we need it to get that done? And and is that, you know, if it's, again, if using the analogy, if it's a piece of marketing technology, is it going to make it easier for us to run the process that we're trying to run? Is it going to make things quicker or cheaper? Does it mean I don't need a person to do that anymore? You know, when I just joined Dimension Data, we had one of the divisions that was running a very sophisticated um lead generation um, lead maturation process and actually doing a brilliant job of capturing and nurturing opportunities um, across digital channels for one part of the business and it was definitely kind of out there, um, best practice very mature um, but but without actually enabling the business to catch the opportunities Right, and hence we were churning out all these leads but they had nowhere to go (laughs) and hence they were going nowhere and actually we've ended up adopting that whole blueprint of how we work the technology we need the processes that will follow Um, but two years later when the business is actually ready um, to absorb it and to adopt it
0: really neatly leads into another one of our sins which is gluttony And, and gluttony is a do not be led into martech and data temptation so it, it feels like today and you've sort of touched on this with martech that there's this absolute insatiable appetite that companies have for adopting new platforms but also just capturing data. you know is is there just a point at which actually becomes unhelpful um and, and just overwhelming to kind of manage
1: there's definitely i think and, I, and it's not just marketing it's across all business functions this mm. kind of sense that people start drowning in data and it's coming back to what are the questions we're trying to ask? Mm. Or what are the things we're trying to find answers to from the data that we've that we've got? I've just got myself an Apple Watch. But the amount of data that's coming off the watch mm. onto my phone now about my habits, I just, I don't <laughs> want to know this stuff, you know. And But it's there. So I'm looking at it. I'm just going, well, how is this? Yeah. I've actually stopped looking at it because I was going, this is not helping me live my life better. And in fact, it's causing me more concern because yeah. I don't really know why my heart rate is dipping at that point of the day. And I don't think it's unhealthy. So it's you're getting data that you don't... It's not that you don't need it, but actually it's not helping you. You, you never had any questions about that point before. Yeah. So you've got to cut through the data with some really pertinent questions. Yeah. And of course, that's down to how are you capturing the data? How are you storing it? how is it, How easy is it to do that? And ending up in a place where you're not creating massive amounts of work of people that are manually wading through data to bring mm. different data sources together. Are up. there any
0: particular kind of bits of MarTech or technology that, you, you know, you're finding at, at Dimension Data has really made a difference? Is there anything you're particularly, particularly liking?
1: Um, not necessarily any 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 platforms. Um, one thing I think that we are definitely seeing at the moment is the power of data to help us make better decisions. Yeah. We're busy rebuilding our website at, at, at the moment. And... Some basic analytics across our existing website performance is really helping us understand, you know, what are the pages that people are going to and where are they going to them from? So whereas you'd normally say, let's start from the top and work down, you know, let's start from the home page and then work mm. out through the architecture. By actually looking at where are the heaviest visited pages? Mm. Where are people spending the most well time? Which are the pages that people are then going on to more pages from? Mm has given a totally different perspective on how people actually use and navigate around our website versus potentially what we would have naturally thought from a top-down. And that's changed the way we're designing the new site. It's changed the way that we're designing how the site kind of interacts with other sites and with other parts of our business.
0: We're going to move on to – we've got two sins left. Uh, Penultimate sin is envy. Um, And envy's an interesting one. I think that um, we're all – you know. probably sort of guilty of looking at other brands or other campaigns and thinking, God, I wish I'd done that. And one of the things that came back in quite a lot of our research time and time again is that B2B marketers often look to the B2C world and sort of say, well, you know, oh, that that's my favorite campaign or that's my favorite brand. But then we don't always see the same level of uh, bravery, let's say, in, in the creative work as as you sometimes do in B2C. And so the, 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 the sin here is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's campaigns and then not try to do better yourself. <laughs> and I, I want to talk particularly about, there's a couple of things you've been doing, the Tour de France and also the campaign you've done with uh, the Rhinos campaign in South Africa, which is just two really exciting pieces of, I would say, brand building work, but then have all these other applications for your business. Yeah. So maybe maybe start talking about the Rhinos because I think that's, that's a yeah. wonderful story. The
1: Rhino project is a project that we call Connected Conservation because it's using technology to try and, in this instance, conserve a species and, and rhino, I'm sure, most people are aware of the, the, the plight of the rhino population around the world. Mm. Um, you know, if the rate of poaching continues that it, we see today, rhinos will be extinct by 2025, wow. um, yeah. which is just an awful thought, really, yeah. isn't it? We're trying to tackle the problem in, in a way that we know how, which is using technology on the ground in mm. the parks where mm. the rhinos are. So in 2014, we started working in one of the private reserves in, on, on the edge of Kruger Park in South Africa. Um, that year, that reserve had lost 54 rhino, so more mm-hmm. than one a week. So we were asked to kind of go and help by looking at, well, how can technology actually s- solve the problem? Which is more, rather than darting rhino, putting tags o- on them to track them, was actually to start tracking the problem, which is poachers. By actually understanding who was coming into the parks illegally, what were they doing when they were in the park? And could we m- more quickly get alerts to rangers so that they could get across the, the poachers before they found found the rhino. Mm. Essentially, we've helped put um, sensors um, around the edge of the park. We've helped empower rangers at the gate so you can kind of understand who's coming into the park, you know, whether they've got criminal records, etc. And then actually connected the rangers in the park so that if there is a problem, and there's an incursion coming in, the rangers have got a much earlier notice. They know exactly where it's happened. They can get to the poachers before the poachers effectively find a rhino. And I'm really um, thrilled that 2017, 2018, there wasn't a single rhino lost um, in amazing. that in that park. So that project's now expanding into some other parts of Africa and potentially wow. also
0: elsewhere in the world. It's fantastic. I mean, so it sort of ticks all the boxes for me because I think what, what I've always said to people is, if you want your brand to be talked about, do something worth talking about. You know, and here you've got an, an activity that's really genuinely making a difference, that's actually effective on the ground. Mm-hmm but then gives you this incredible um, story to tell that links right the way back to your core truth, which is your expertise in technology.
1: Yeah, and technology can make a difference. You know, there's a lot of talk in the tech industry about, you know, technology is making things worse. You know, the social media Mm -hmm. companies are being hammered at the moment around, you know, misplace of trust, you know, misuse of data... But We really believe that technology is fundamentally making the world better.
0: Brilliant, and then, and then, a, a, a sort of very different in tone, shall we say? <laughs> Much more glamorous. You've got the Tour de France sponsorship. I mean, how, where did that come from as an idea? Helping
1: men in lycra go faster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, so that that was a combination of a couple of things actually. So um, the timing was just serendipitous for us. We were looking for a um, a global brand partnership that would help us build our brand globally Mm. you know that the the tech sector um, is becoming very competitive there's a lot of convergence different companies coming into each other's space dimension data at that point hadn't really focused on on brand you know the business was growing quite happily um without that kind of investment but we realized we needed to 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 do something to build the brand and and build reputation and we were looking for a a a partnership didn't need to be a sport but that where we could find a partnership where we could make a difference um and most sports at that point and that was 2015 um had already digitized you know mm. tennis um motorsports already got quite a lot of technology deployed to to enable all of us as fans to understand the game a bit better but cycling hadn't um and at the same time the tour de france um were looking for a technology partner to do exactly that And it's just been brilliant for us. You know, we've been able to uh, provide all of the viewers of the Tour de France, and about a billion people every year watch the Tour de France or engage with the race in some way, have now got you know fully digitised experience where they can see you know which riders where, how fast is that one going versus somebody that might be in front of them, how likely are they to catch up? And it's done. I think what we'd all look for is it's brought our core proposition to life. You know, Mm. how do you integrate different technologies to actually solve a business problem? Um, and in this case it's how do you change the fan experience of a race that was over 100 years old
0: what you're doing is you're tangibly making a difference to this thing that people love this property that people love and you're able to then build your story around that actual difference that you're making
1: and also you know it brings our value proposition to life in its most basic sense it enables us to show you know how we help with cybersecurity at the Tour de France, we're yeah. delivering cloud platforms yeah. you know we're integrating different technologies, etc et etc cetera, et cetera. Um, but it also gives us you know it's great fun it's great for our employees to engage with it it builds a sense of pride coming back to you know your your, your sin um and a sense of um you know excitement for our clients um, as well.
0: Well, you mentioned it. Pride. That's our last deadly sin. And I think it's uh, only fitting that we end on something of a, a positive. So, um, you know, what is the thing that you're most proud of? Or just tell us about some of the things you're most proud of in, in your career. I
1: don't often reflect on this. So I find it quite uncomfortable talking about the, <laughs> the, the things I'm most proud of. And it's 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 definitely not linked to anything that I've done personally, because uh, I think there's very little pride in, in, in a lot of that. There's, there's a few things, though, that I, I would reflect on. One is, i'm always so proud of the the work we do in our teams um you know i think uh, when i i get the most sense of satisfaction it's because together we've done something great you know and that together could be either you know within my team or across the company or you know with a client or you know you know the instance great example last year the bbc came out and and saw the tour de france solution for the first time and we just made the most amazing little segment for bbc click so it's that sense of team and togetherness that i always get great great pride from but i think one of the things um increasingly i've been reflecting on and i think this will be the future source of pride is i do think you know at the moment the world is in some quite Strange political turmoil. Mm. You know, it's just everywhere seems quite disrupted um, in the kind of political or socioeconomic um, world. And I think increasingly it's the role of many of us that work for big companies, or big or small companies, I guess, to take on the responsibility of making the world better. But I, I do think that there's more responsibility for all of us to... Think about the world beyond our shareholders and yeah, just improving yeah, yeah. our share price, which is what we've all been chasing for, for many years, and to fundamentally have more responsibility for the world around us. Yeah, you know the opportunity to develop people, sharing our learning. You know, just thinking about how do we leave the world better at Absolutely. the end of today than we did at the beginning.
0: Brilliant. Well, that is a wonderfully positive note to finish on. We <laughs> thank you so much for talking with me. Pleasure. And thank you very much for listening to the Seven Deadly Sins of B two B Marketing.
1: If you enjoyed this episode of The 7 Deadly Sins of B2B Marketing from Bono, then please subscribe to the podcast, share with your colleagues, or even leave us a review. We welcome feedback. Please contact us at sins at omabono.com.